if you will please, open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 11 today. That is on page 1604 of your Pew Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Page 1604 of your Pew Bible. The book of Timothy is written to a young pastor in the church of Ephesus. And so, the Timothy that we're reading about here is also uh, one of the people being spoken to in the book of Ephesians, which is later on. This is here in our New Testament. So, you will see that these two books work together, hand in hand, and um, teach us a lot about church life. Uh, so let us now look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-11. through 11. Let us hear God's holy word. Let's begin. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is satisfied, sanctified, by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine of which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer and approach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. In 1666, a book written by the Puritan pastor Thomas Watson was titled The Godly Man's Picture Drawn with a Scripture Pencil. In that book, he uses the Bible to sketch what a godly person should look like. We see the same principle in our portion of Scripture today. We see the Apostle Paul draw portraits of people in the first century church in Ephesus. As he instructs Timothy, the young pastor in Ephesus, he gives him a warning that came from the Holy Spirit. A warning not to run Timothy off, but to prepare him for battle. Paul warns Timothy that there will be a war for truth, a war that will influence the destiny of souls, a war of heresy to come. And it's a war that still rages today. The church today must be able to examine itself, look at a portrait of itself, in order to rightly minister in this war against the truth of the Gospel. In order for the church to correctly look at itself, Paul gives us three portraits of people to recognize. 
those who are the departers to the doctrine of demons, the believers and the knowers, and the good ministers of Jesus Christ. In our first frame, we have a portrait that is a spy photo from the Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul. The enemy outside and behind the lines is a portrait of those who are departers to the doctrines of demons. Paul is warned of this time of heresy, to, is warning to Timothy this time of a heresy which will come in later days, meaning that it's the time to come after Paul has written this letter. And he warns that there will be false teachers making their way into the Ephesian congregation. But also notice in verse 3, we see that these heresies that Paul is concerned with are also put in the present tense. So what the Spirit is warning Paul of are things that are occurring presently and will be also in the time to come. In other words, this is not just a battle, but a campaign against the church. An all-out war. And there will be casualties. The first portrait contains two groups that are in one camp. The first is a picture of those casualties of this war. It's, it's a picture of those who have departed from the faith, completely leaving it. They've heard and been taught the gospel truth, and they're now rejecting it. Leaving the truth, departing from it for a lie. The word departure here makes us think of someone catching a train or a flight, or in the time of the apostles, a ship. They're leaving where they are and going to a completely different place. In this case, from life to death. Paul uses the same terminology in reference to Hymenaeus and Alexander in chapter 1 and verses 19 and 20 when he says that they have made a shipwreck of their faith. They set sail in satanic waters and doctrine, demonic doctrine and have wrecked their faith. They departed from the shores of truth and died a spiritual death when they wrecked on a reef of lies. But they're not alone in this photo. There are those who are listening and yet doubting God's truth as it was washed over them from the mouths of the apostles and elders. As one heard the truth, the other was believing a lie. And like Eve in the garden, agreed with Satan that the lie is greater than the truth. So the second representation that we have that actually leading these people down are those who have departed from the faith are these teachers and these guys are the mouthpiece for this demonic doctrine. As in any, any war, we have generals and soldiers. And the soldiers will do what they told. These generals or these false teachers are giving false doctrine to the church. The church was warned of this type of teacher by Jesus in Matthew 18. He said, But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe to me to sit in me to sin, it would be greater for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. It's these teachers of falsehood, and it's exactly who Paul warns the elders of Ephesians of the church against in Acts 20. In verse 29 he says, For I know this, that after my departure savage wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. Like a pack of wolves, leading a young or weak elderly deer out of a pack. These wolves, these false teachers, take those who doubt and lead them away to the safety of God's flock and devour them, making them a casualty instead of a person moving into the life of Jesus Christ. But both of these groups 
those who have departed and the teachers can ultimately be called followers. Both groups are equally eager to follow demonic doctrine as their consciences are seared with a hot iron. Their thoughts, their consciences are bound to satanic lies. And they are in complete agreement with the lies of the devil. We are reminded that the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13 when we are told that some seeds that were gathered up by birds as they fell on the rocky soil and there were some that didn't take root. And when the sun came up, they were scorched as if by a hot iron. And the thorns and thistles choked them out and the truth was shipwrecked in their faith as well. Followers of demonic doctrine do not have the spirit to check the spirits coming from these birds, these thorns, these false demonically influenced teachers. In the epistle, the first epistle of John, chapter four, verse one, we're told to test to see if these spirits are from God. You see, followers of demonic doctrine don't test to become dubious to the deception. As the false teachers put on a stage play, their mind is cauterized. It's so closed off the spiritual truth, they're incapable of knowing a lie when they hear it. Nancy and I were once went to a local playhouse and watched a play that involved both deaf, deaf and hearing actors working together to describe the plight of deaf people and the hearing world. And I was drawn in and kept on the edge of my seat. And after the play was over, I wanted to talk to these, some of these actors and shake their hands, especially the deaf actors, because that really pulled me in. And they took me across the sound barrier into their world of soundlessness. And as I went backstage to meet with the actors, I saw one of the deaf actors. And as I was reaching out to shake his hand, my cell phone rang. And he turned and looked at me, and he said, I have that same ringtone. <laughs> I was completely duped and caught off guard. His talent made me think that he was truly, truly deaf. <laughs> and his ability to use sign language. And if, only, if I'd only read his bio on the play bulletin, I would, not have known, I would have known that he could hear. And that he learned sign language to communicate with one of his deaf relatives. If I had searched for the truth, I wouldn't have been swept away into a false reality of the play on the stage before me. And just like that, these demonic spirits fool those who don't know the truth. They're duped and dubious as the tickling of their ears leads them to utter destruction, being a casualty of the spiritual warfare in the church. See, our battle is not ultimately of the flesh. Yes, it's here and it has real effects on the present life. But we must understand that this battle that's taking place in the church pews is a spiritual battle. Behind the scenes, like the director of a play, there are these deceiving spirits. And the doctrine is the demon's doctrine, as we see in verse 1. These evil spirits are hard at work, duping teachers and following away, leading them from the truth. And as they go, so the soldiers go. Even though the theater of battle takes place in front of our own eyes, there's a battle happening in the spiritual world, and Paul warns us in Ephesians. In his letter to them, in chapter 6, 12, he writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
as the battle rages in the church pews, it rages in the spiritual realm. As the gospel is preached and a, and a shot of truth is fired out from the gospel canons, there's a deep, dark, and wicked spirit running around hoping to deflect and pervert the work of the kingdom on earth and making a shipwreck of people's faith. So how do these wicked spirits shipwreck the faith of their followers? Verse 3, we see that followers are deviated from divine blessing. The two things that Paul points out that the false teachers and the followers will forsake are marriage and food. The two things in God's, these two things are in God's created order. In Genesis 1, man is given the mandate by God to go forth and multiply marriage and have dominion over creation, part of farming and hunting, as his image bearers. There were no concerns here as God, a good God, creates good things. Now before we go any further, we need to point out some things that people like to use on this position to argue that since God is a good creator and therefore creates good things, then it is okay to use His natural creation for the purpose of doing things like using plants to alter the objects. Though God's creation is good, that doesn't mean that man's use of it is always good. For instance, though He gave man the ability to procreate was a particular action and even mandated such, it is often simply abused outside the realm of marriage. The action and fruit from it are only lawful within marriage by God's design. Likewise, we are warned in Revelation 21.8 that sorcerers who will take their part in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death, and these sorcerers are the one means that those who use herbs and plants and can include occult purposes for altering the conscience. We must use godly wisdom when it comes to exercising our dominion over his creation. God's acceptance of man's fruit must be within the bounds of his moral character. Here, marriage and fruit are given as representatives as God's kind blessings to man. And when he says it is good, he said it's good that man is not alone and then created for even at created Eve for Adam. He also gave food to enjoy and sustain mankind. As we see, though these blessings are from God, false teachers can lead us into a false outward piety and doctrine and shipwreck our, and shipwreck our faith. This is exactly what is going on here. The demons have convinced some that abstaining from God's blessings within God's moral will makes them holier than partaking of them in a godly way. Now there are those who have food allergies, who can't eat all things. And there are those who do not marry because they are eunuchs for the kingdom of God from birth. And there are those who can't have children because of medical conditions. This is not what Paul is warning about. These mysterious things are under God's sovereignty. And we must not paint too broad of a stroke lest we ourselves make a new faith for us uh, and ignore God's sovereignty over these things. See, what is really being said here is that the demon's doctrine is held higher than God's doctrine. As, he cre- as God created the world, those who reject what God says is good and believe that they are actually holier than God Himself, and just like Satan in the Garden of Eden tickling Eve's ear, those who are shipwrecked in their faith are deceived and denying the very Word of God by thinking their false, outward, demonic, doctrine-driven piety is greater than the divine inspiration of apostolic teaching. It's pride that makes them think that their belief is better than the truth of God. In the first century, there was a belief among pagan societies 
social elites that the spiritual is good and creation is bad. It was the seed of what would become known as Gnosticism. And it denied that the spirit would have anything to do with creation, the flesh, as it was dirty and unclean. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Bible says God loves his creation. And it says that his creation is good. So who is man to believe that his ways are better than God's ways? Who is man to believe that he can outmoral God? What is man to say it's moral to support gay marriage when God says it's immoral, sinful, even to support it? Who is man to decide it's immoral to say a woman shouldn't murder the fruit of her womb when God says thou shalt not murder? One of the doctrine of demons would dare question what God says is good or evil. Who is man to question if creation is good when God, who is the only truly righteous entity in existence, says it's good? So we've seen a portion of those who departed demonic doctrine, departed to demonic doctrine, claiming themselves more righteous than God. Let us now move and view the portrait of the believers and the knowers of truth in verses 3b and 4. They know that the Creator is good and give good things. Believers and knowers look at the world and view it through the eyes of God. Verse 3 is a reference to Genesis 1.31 which says, And God saw everything that He made, and behold, it was very good. Because God says it's good, the believer knows that refraining from partaking in good things, such as marriage and food, is a dead end road and trying to reach holiness. They participate in these things with joy and thanksgiving. These good things. This fountain of blessing from God, even to the point of worshiping Him. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, that the Father gives good things to those who ask. Good things. As a Christian man recognizes that these things come from God, he honors God for these gifts. He makes his life an example of praise to God for what He has given. The things that God says are His kind of blessings, His kind blessings to man. In other words, he recognizes as God is the giver of these things that he has Christian duties. Washing his wife with the word, Ephesians 5.26. Encouraging family worship time. Catechizing the children. Getting the family to church for corporate worship on the Sabbath. And helping the family prepare for the Sabbath. Leading family worship and instructing the family in the faith of Jesus Christ. Giving all praise and thanks to God for these things. For their good. The godly wife will feel the same responsibility in the household. Encouraging her husband in his role and encouraging a relationship with Jesus Christ to the children. She will be a woman who everyone sees as a rock in the family and knows that she plays a role in the covenant family's life as they witness her faith in Jesus. The Christian knows things like marriage aren't to be thrown away if God has called you to it. We are not to waste the blessings of something like marriage as God does not give blessing for us to abuse and take advantage of them. The knower knows that to refrain from God's blessing as a way to make others believe you are more sanctified than them is to deny God's created order. Denying His goodness for what man thinks is better than God's blessings to him. Not only something like marriage, not not just marriage, but eating is a spiritual activity to the Christian. In Colossians 10.31, Paul says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
The believer is to receive God's blessing with thanksgiving. That is, they are to receive it with praise. This praise of thanksgiving is one of the identifiers that separates the spiritual man from the natural man, as the natural man has been deceived by demonic doctrine and is unable to give God praises for his blessings. Colossians 2, 6-10, we read, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted up and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principalities and power. Giving thanks to God is part of abounding in the true Christian faith, being a believer and a knower. To not be thankful to God for His established faith and all that He has blessed us with is a result of believing man's lies, the doctrine of demons, and not the truth of Christ, who is God. And His ways that truly fill us up, complete us, and brings us to true righteousness. Not the false piety or reject the blessings of God. It is the fact that Jesus has already done these things for us that we desire to do it as well. Notice in verse 4, we're not to reject these things, but to receive these blessings. Literally, put our hands on them. We're to experience these good things of God. True piety is to receive these good blessings of God and praise Him for it. And that's why we can consecrate this, these creation blessings and set them apart in verse 5. The Word of God, the Creator Himself, backs up this good doctrine. Lift up your blessings to Him and to the heavens with prayer and praise, thanking Him that He has been gracious to us and given us the ability both to act in and to benefit from His creation. Think of communion. The elements of bread and wine are present, both created by God. As God has called the church to the sacrament, these elements are received with praise and thanksgiving for Christ's work of salvation for believers. And they are consecrated and set apart by prayer. Then the church is to receive it, literally put their hands on it. It's not just here that the believer and the knower will see more deeply into natural things. You've all seen the commercials and the infomercials where the farmers work hard on growing the food and the truck drivers work hard getting that food to the supermarkets so we can get it to our tables. Those commercials are a nod to the hard and productive work of those in the agriculture industry. Both the spiritual man and the natural man can see this. But the Christian, the spiritual man, knows that behind the hard work of the farmer and the truck driver, in which we do truly benefit from their labor, the God is ultimately behind that. And we are to praise Him for those things. Those blessings ultimately fall from God the giver of all good things. Christians do not abstain from what God has called good in the belief that you think He will make you more holy than those who partake in His creative blessings. Do not buy into the doctrine of demons and reject the good doctrine. Rather, receive His blessings. Experience true religion and give praise to God for His goodness. Believe that what He says is good is good and know that it is a blessing for you. So we have seen the portraits of those who are departing for the doctrine of demons and the portrait of those who are believers and knowers. We are being told with the portrait of the believers and knowers 
It is that those spirits and principalities are hard at work to destroy the church from the outside and within. God will always have a church on earth. God will always have those who are His. And He will also provide under-shepherds of Christ to that church. In all times, languages, nations, God will have those who are good ministers of Jesus Christ. You see, good doctrine is contrary to the demonic doctrine. The minister himself must be a portrait of the believer and knower of Jesus Christ so that he can instruct the brethren in all things of God. In 2 Timothy, Paul further instructs Timothy on how to minister within the Word as he says in chapter 4, verse 2, Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. No matter what the enemy is doing, no matter its tactic, we're trying to destroy the church. The minister is to preach the word. Wait on God. Lovely rebuke to depart to demonic doctrine while edifying and believing the believer and the knower. As the minister is nourished from the words of faith and himself follows good doctrine, he leads the congregation to a deeper relationship and understanding of Jesus Christ. This is done by staying, keeping his focus in the word of God. That's where the minister's authority is. Not his words, but God's words. Notice in our verse from Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, that the minister is told to preach the word. In commanding and teaching these things, it's God's words because it's those that are truth unto eternal life. And it's because those that minister to God's people only has authority in God that he is to sorry, exercise himself toward godliness. In verse 8, we are told boldly, bodily exercise profits a little. This is not a small statement in the first century, especially in a Greek culture where a man would depend on his physical health not only for farming and hunting, but for survival of the nation-state in which he lived. If there was a strong war culture at this time, he would be called off the battle, either being sent off to another place to fight or to protect his own homeland from invaders. So the contrast here is that you may think, Timothy, that your body is of the utmost importance in your life. The effects of exercise, though, are temporary. But laboring in God's Word has greater effects, as it has eternal significance. In order to believe to be a believer and a knower that feeds believers and knowers, the minister must counter the demonic doctrine with rifle two doctrine the authoritative word of God in which he exercises himself. As the minister and the church go to war against Satan here on earth, they are to be trained up in the truth, able to identify these demonic doctrines and rebuke it, and to push it back out of the boundaries of God's kingdom, and therefore must be spiritually fit for that task at hand. In fact, Paul uses a soldier's armor to describe the Christians going to war. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, writing to Timothy's church, the very church being discussed in our portion of Scripture today, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me. The utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We are war with vain demonic doctrines in this world. It has its beginnings in the spiritual realm. And the Word of God prepares us to fight it off ourselves and defend others. As the minister trains himself in God's truth so he's able to feed others and they themselves become soldiers able to fight off the flaming darts of demonic doctrine. The minister constantly follows this good doctrine in words of faith, nourishing himself on it as man cannot live by bread alone but by every word of God. If the minister does not stay in the word, he will dry up and blow away, being able to feed the flock of God, leaving them vulnerable to the wolves. In the exercise of godliness, the minister is able to become more prepared and devoted to battle for truth. He is spiritually prepared to thrust God's word into the hearts of men, which we are told in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and as a discerner of thoughts and intents. It is the Word of God that tells us what is true and a lie and gives us this understanding and ability as we are directed in verse 7 to reject profane and old wise fables. In the first century, philosophers would often allow what was called old wise fables to go unchallenged as it would be considered disrespectful to their culture. These fables had everything to do with astrology, superstitions, and anecdotes that were known to be enforced upon their neighbors and even their own offspring of the fable teller themselves. It was customal up to allow it to leave a beep. However, good doctrine is always to reject these things, not allowing them to be enforced or taught within the walls of the kingdom of God. Any contradiction of God's word must be challenged, and the flaming dart from Satan must be stamped out as not to sneer Sorry, sear the conscience and lovingly challenge the one who is teaching the divine doctrine. Imagine you're sitting on a riverbank and you're watching your loved ones sailing on a ship. Those who you know and care about, who are image bearers of God, are on this ship. And suddenly, another ship appears and you see that it is loaded with demonic forces, armed with bows and flaming arrows. And you hear the commander of the ship of demons yell, Loose! And all those fiery arrows land on the ship of your friends. Instead of them working to put out the fire and fight back, they start to dance Amen. and be happy and think that those fiery darts burning on their ship is good. Singing praises and loving the fire that's about to kill them instead of fighting for their lives. That is what we do with the doctrine. This is what happens when the minister doesn't exercise himself in God's word. He is able to encourage true piety in the church. There will be a congregation 
without the lookout of one who teaches the word of God and left to be shipwrecked as they will be unable to decipher the difference between a fiery arrow that will wreck their ship of faith from the life-giving, life-saving wisdom of God's true word. Verses 9 and 10 are given a faithful saying. It reads like a little catechism. Just like the man who knows his blessings and faithfully catechizes his children, so the word of God, which is faithful, catechizes us. Paul reaffirms the need to work in the word of God as he uses the term labor and suffer or approach to be an effective minister. The minister must exercise labor, that is, to sweat and plow the fertile field of God's word to put spiritual food on the church's table. At the same time, he will be aware and understand that the natural man's hate for God will be turned on the one who teaches truth. And he will suffer, even to the point of being martyred. Believing in a living God. So the labor is not in vain like those who, in cult worship, sacrifice to images made of wood and stone. Earlier, Richard Owens told us about how, in the worship of Bell, that people would actually sacrifice their children in the flames and the fire to that. Here, the labor is not meant to be a means that brings about a false, barren piety like those who teach and abstain from God's blessings, and that their fable is not uh, any better than it is to... I'm sorry. And their fable of better is better to not marry is more holy than God saying it is good that man not be alone. Genesis 2.18 The labor brings the dead to life. They feed on the Word of God, growing in the image of a true living God, not dead stone or wood. Savior to all men, we must teach the God who created and gives all blessings is the God who came in the flesh, as we see back in verse 16 of chapter 3. It is faithful to say that He came because we are sinners, prone to believe a satanic lie, born to be soldiers against God as we are conceived and born draped in original sin. It is faithful to God's Word to teach that Jesus died for us because the doctrine of man cannot save us. It is good and faithful to say His Christ had to come Died and rose again, that we have, or we have no chance, and there will be no chance of spending an eternity in God's blessing. It is good and pleasing to God that the gospel of Jesus Christ be taught over and over and over again. It should never grow old for the minister of the word to study, and it should never grow old for the believer and knower to hear. We need it to live as it is our armor in spiritual warfare. It is our food that nourishes our souls. And it's what brings true religion of piety among mankind. Taking them from the portrait of a natural us from a portrait of a natural man to being a believing knower of Jesus Christ. A spiritual man. Some may argue that the portrait of the minister alone is responsible for sharing the gospel to the lost. And those believing in false demonic doctrines. Yes, the minister is an office that few men are called to and serve in the church in such a capacity that evangelizing and loving the neighbor, he is not alone. It's for all believers and knowers of truth to share. 
The second Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 21, the Apostle Paul says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15-16, through 16, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a good defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile you, your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. And Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 5, 14-16, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives the light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Though the minister preaches the gospel from the pulpit every Sabbath, all believers are responsible for loving their neighbor to share the truth of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, warning others of fables and Satan's arrows, and encouraging them to suit up with the word of God and be a believer and knower in Jesus Christ. As Romans 10, 17 tells us, faith comes from hearing. Let your neighbor hear the truth from you. To sum it all up, the entire world is in a spiritual battle. It's not just happening here in the church, it's happening there. The lines are drawn. Not only within the church, within the streets, and every human being is either a portrait of one who believes and knows the Lord Jesus as their Savior, or they are a portrait of the one who believes in the doctrine of demons. There is no such thing as a neutral party in spiritual warfare. Are you in the portrait of the church militant, the church here on earth? Do you get life from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and look to Him for truth and saving faith? Or do you look to fables and the doctrine of demons believing that there is a greater truth than the very word of God? Are you in the portrait of Satan's army here on earth? If the latter is you, I encourage you to go AWOL to the lies of Satan and look to the true king of all creation who blesses his army of believers and knowers. For he lived for them. He died for them. And everything that he has done and everything that he has said and everything that he has given is good. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, you are the fountain of all good things. Never ending. You were love. You were good from all eternity past. And all things that are love and good come from you because they began in you. And you bless us as you pour those things out on us and to us and through us. But Lord God, we thank you most that though we are fallen, 
we're sinners and if we're left to our own, we will be in Satan's army. Because You sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us and that He rose again, that we have eternal life and we're no longer in our Satan's army but in Your church militant because of the work of Jesus Christ. Because You give us faith because You are merciful and You are good. Lord, I thank You that You have seen fit to bring us before You and be reminded of how Your faith that You have given us is the only truth. That anything outside of that is a lie. God, hold us tight. Keep us in Your hand. Keep us in Your church. Let us not go AWOL from You. Do not take the Holy Spirit from us, please. May we forever grow in You. May every breath, every word, Indeed, be in praise of you and appreciation of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.